All right, welcome to Gothcast episode 26. I am Dr. Sanders. This is Robbie Gore. And today we're going to be taking a look at some movies. Yet again, you know, it's been a few episodes since we've done this. And it's three movies that I actually picked for a very specific reason. They each have very dark kind of tones, and they're all kind of based in a, a little bit of a strange reality. I feel like each of these films really fits the mold of sort of noir science fiction semi-thriller kind of genre where each of these movies has a very intricate plot going on and a lot of things mess around with your mind and definitely explore very dark ideas and sentiments about society and the nature of reality and the way humanity exists and interacts and what it is to be alive and perceive things. Yeah, exactly. That's what I really enjoyed about doing this episode is man these are not three movies you want to watch back to back like no man, you would be all kind of screwed up like what is real and what, what's not um <laughs> maybe not that far but definitely you would kind of be like whoa like you perceive things maybe a little bit differently so our, our choices for this week are dark city from 1998 the city of lost children from 1995 and brazil mm-hmm. and yeah these are very very different movies but they all have this very specific thing in common in that they have kind of noir elements or they have kind of a different time but it's supposed to be like the future it's supposed to be like a a very strange undetermined period yeah they're all somewhat i would say dystopian future films sort of yeah yeah not like not to the the stereotype of the genre but they're definitely dystopian in nature and they're sort of futuristic films yeah exactly i mean one of the things is like in brazil i think they say like some some sometime in the future you know like it's supposed to be like a very weird time (laughs) but each of these films approaches it in a very different way and not saying that the time period or that kind of thing determines whether the movie's good or not but it definitely gives each of these films a very unique sort of look and sort of way to present their story so yeah, this is kind of the sci-fi dystopian noir episode. <laughs> yeah, if any of you guys remember the Matrix and how weird that was, uh, just, just get ready. <laughs> yeah, this, these are a little. Some of these uh, one's actually kind of similar to that, but yeah, well, in some ways. But let's just get into it. We're gonna do reverse chronological order this time, so it's going to be Dark City, then City Lost Children, then Brazil. So basically, going backwards. Yeah, we got to mix it up. Yeah, got to mix it up. And let's just get on to it. So with Dark City. Yeah, so this film was released in 1998, directed by Alex Proyas. And the screenplay is written by Proyas along with Lem Dobbs and David S. Goyer. And the film stars Rufus Sewell, Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland? Oh, oh my God. Yeah, I don't know why I just read that as Kiefer. <laughs> uh, the film stars Rufus Sewell. Kiefer Sutherland, Jennifer Connelly, and William Hurt. And Sewell obviously plays Murdoch, who is the protagonist of the film. Murdoch has amnesia. It's kind of how the film opens. Yeah, basically, it, it's a little hard to explain this plot without spoiling a lot, so we're going to try and tiptoe around some of it, but obviously, yeah. you know, we when we get into it, I mean, this movie is almost 20 years old, so I just want to kind of put it out there. But yeah, yep. this uh, Murdoch basically wakes up with amnesia and can't really figure out what's going on in this place he has basically no memories at all yeah and he's been in a hotel for three weeks and he he doesn't know that 
he, he's really confused as to what's going on. Yeah, it's a woman who's been murdered inside of the hotel room that he wakes up in, and he's just like, what is happening? You know, like, he has no idea yep. what's going and, on. Uh, he also has, uh, like, multiple personalities that are, like, kind of popping up and stuff. Something like that, yeah. He has basically these weird memories that are somewhat fuzzy in his head. Mm-hmm. I was kind of hesitant, even when I read the, the kind of, the little summary on the back of like the DVD because I bought the DVD a while ago, and I was like, ah, you know, like amnesia, you know, I was like, it's been done so many times. Usually ends the same way, and usually something similar to Memento. Yeah, something like that. And Memento is really well done. It's actually one of the better amnesia movies. But you know what I'm saying? Like it, it becomes very predictable for a lot of movies whenever they do the amnesia thing. And so I was like, ah, but it kept coming up as like one of those movies that's like recommended if you like Blade Runner. Yep, and I was really hesitant because I watched even the trailer. I watched the trailer and I was like, "This doesn't seem that great," you know. And then I sat down and actually watched it. I was like, "This is a very interesting movie," and it definitely has some problems. But for the time, it w- I think it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we're probably definitely going to address the issues that the film has. But right off the bat, I would like to say what this film does really well is it presents. What I would say is a very original story, even for this being an amnesia film. And it does it, it's it's storytelling in a very creative way. And you have concepts being presented to you that are really interesting and really thought-provoking. And for that reason, I feel like I can forgive some of its perhaps not-so-good features. I can agree with that, actually, is that a lot of the good does make up for it the bad for yeah. the most part. The One of the good things about this movie is the kind of visual style. It is very unique. And the, yes. you know, the way it's like, it's like the neo-noir kind of thing where it's like 50s, 60s kind of like, you know, dress and motif and cars and everything like technology, but it's still like the future. It's a very unique look and it's color graded. Like the way that the movie is filmed and presented and edited is a very unique kind of thing. It's kind of like darker tones and yeah. kind of just, a spooky all-around creepy atmosphere yeah everything is very much color graded and shot to look a very specific way and it's very much a noir film it definitely harkens to things like you know like Blade Runner or like Sin City even with like some of its you know more specifically noir characteristics yeah in that it's trying to take that kind of idea and then making it more modern and more like completely different kind of story obviously to a noir yeah that those are like the the main really good things about it i also feel like the actors really actually do their roles very well i agree with that i love the the main guy in this like john murdoch the character he's so well done yep um i would say that all these you know most of the characters have a very present and a very well thought out personality um yeah and i think that really works the film's advantage um i didn't always like the script a lot but i felt like it was always executed well yeah the script some of the le- the dialogue is a little clumsy yeah uh, especially with some of the characters who don't you don't see a lot of screen time with them yeah like i think there's the uncle character like specifically i felt like he was just kind of eh, you know like not super well done yep keeper sutherland i gotta give him credit you know it, uh, when people think of keeper sutherland Especially if, you know, you're into goth stuff. You probably think of Kiefer Sutherland as, you know, the blonde-haired vampire instead of Lost Boys. Instead of this movie, 
He's completely different. <laughs> yeah, I would. I love Keith Sutherland in this movie. Yeah, he really seems like he immersed himself in that role, and he really, like, you know, really holds on to it and really pulls that kind of character. It's a. I hardly noticed kinda, that it was Keith Sutherland while I was watching it. And it I, took me a while. I'll yeah. be honest. It took me a while. I was like, "That's Keeper Sutherland," <laughs> but yeah, he's basically instead of being like a a dreamboat or kind of like a tough guy or kind of swab guy, he's this like dorky little scientist who basically seems like he has like OCD or something like that, and he kind of talks like this. And we should be together, everyone. You know, like yeah, really strange <laughs> and really creepy. He is a very creepy doctor. <laughs> you know, the, the our first introduction to him is. Uh, he calls our protagonist Murdoch and basically tells him that you know he needs to see him. There's stuff wrong with them, and then we have a more direct introduction to him when Murdoch's wife goes to visit him, and mm-hmm. he basically explains that her husband has had a psychotic break and cannot be trusted. And yep. <laughs> And that uh, if she, you know, hears of anything, she should tell him immediately and that they should consider themselves friends. And Yeah. He's definitely a character that plays a lot of different sides. Yeah. And I got to be honest. I mean, while I do like Murdoch for his gritty noir character type of thing, I really feel like almost the main character of this movie is Keeper Sutherland's character. Yeah. Like, because he, he does the most. Like, he does, I mean, yeah, while Murdoch does go through, like, all this stuff, it's really... It's like Schreiber, Schreiber, like I think that's how you pronounce it, what they say. But yeah, he's like basically guiding all the, what's happening. He basically is the one who yeah, is responsible for most of it. There's things that they do in the film that kind of allude to him being the mastermind. Like in the when you see uh, him and the wife interact, you know, he has the rat running through the little maze. Mm. Uh, it kind of harkens to perhaps what he's doing with people and stuff. Yeah. Especially because our first conversation that we see with him is just him calling Murdoch and being like, you need to run from this group of men. Which yep. I, I will say I found to be hard to wrap my head around when I f- first started watching the movie because I was like, yep. why does he just trust this guy if he has amnesia? and like? Uh, <laughs> well, it's kind of like the thing with the... Actually, well, that scene in particular reminds me of the beginning of The Matrix where he's like, you don't know who I am. You maybe have some. Idea. It's like even more so though, because the Matrix, yeah. he kind of has an idea of who Morpheus is. But then, like at yep. this point, he's just like, "Yeah, just just go. Trust me. Uh, you must run. Yeah, you you, you must know. run from those who are pursuing you." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is whole thing, and I I really think that Schreiber has this whole, you know, the the interaction between Schreiber and everyone else is is really interesting. Not only is Murdoch good as a character, but Schreiber is too. And it, and I can say that pretty much. Most of the other characters aren't as good as those two, which is unfortunate. But yeah, like as movie characters in like a neo noir type of thing, they're pretty great. I definitely agree with that. Neo noir films kind of tend to be hit or miss films. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Like they're either really well done or they're very poorly done. Yep. Uh, and I want to say this is really well done, but it is, but it's not a perfect movie. I think one of the problems. And well, my biggest issue with this whole movie is is the villains. I don't feel that they are the most. I mean, while they're creepy, it's like they never really connected that they were exactly responsible for what's happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Uh, they don't and, seem like a huge threat in the movie. 
Um, yeah. Like Murdoch himself almost seems like more of a threat to himself and to what's going on. And just because of he doesn't know how to understand how things are yeah. happening. And I mean, obviously he gains some more mental capacity as the movie goes on. Learns huh. he has powers. Yeah. That, that's also one of the biggest issues with this movie. And one that I, it's like frustrating because it doesn't, it works well, but sometimes it doesn't. And the biggest thing about this movie that is aged the worst is the special effects. Yeah. <laughs> now, some of the special effects are, are actually pretty cool. Like the city's collapsing and all that stuff. Like that's actually kind of well done. And like the set design and stuff is really cool. But the powers and stuff in this. Yep. Oh man, they look like some 1998 CG. <laughs> like, and it's it's very unfortunate because when people are acting and they're on these like you know very ornate sets that are really fleshed out in this world that is you know very dense, it really really works. Like this movie really comes together. But whenever you have these fight scenes where they're having to fight with powers and all this stuff, it just is not very good. This is one category where uh, the Matrix wins out. <laughs> Yeah, Matrix actually does hold up surprisingly well. It like, does. S- sometimes. <laughs> in some scenes. But this one, yeah, the powers don't really work that well. And I think they could have done without the powers, to be honest with you. I totally agree. Yep. In fact, I think actually the acting is good enough to where it could have. And the setup and stuff for it is perfect, you know? And they still have enough thought-provoking things without giving him powers. Like, I kind of get the point of the powers. is like the fact that he can, like create like whole like worlds or like atmospheres and scenes and settings and stuff basically become god yeah more (laughs) or less but uh i feel like you could have done that just by questioning what's real and not necessarily calling the powers or making it so explicit that he directly controls or can control what happens or Mm -hmm. how things are created I don't know. Yeah. I just felt like that particular thing was perhaps a little overdone. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the coolest concepts that this movie puts out there and and doesn't I mean it doesn't really go super deep into it, but it touches on it enough to where it's interesting is the idea of like is your personality you and what makes you human and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's what I love about Blade Runner, you know, like what I think Blade Runner does it perfectly. Where it's like, you know, at what point are you human? What makes you human? Yes. And this movie's more about like what makes you you, not necessarily what makes you human, but what makes you specifically special and makes you unique. Yeah. And, and yourself. What makes the world the world? Like, how do we exist? Why do we exist? Do we really exist? You know, I feel yeah. like this movie definitely brings up all those questions. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. They bring them up and then. They also try to throw some. They try to throw some bigger questions out there that don't, you know, they don't really. And I wouldn't say touch on as well. Yeah. But I think the idea that like the personalities and everything that's unique about you, and you know, that you think in your brain, like, oh, I've learned all these things. These are all like, I'm intelligent because of this. I am, you know, I'm in this part of my life because of this, you know. And they, basically, with all the people in this movie, they get swapped around all the time. And, like, every single person. So you could basically wake up and be a completely different person. So say you're, like, super poor. These creatures can manipulate your mind and change, like, your life. And so you wake up and you're a completely different person. And you're rich and you are wealthy, whereas the day before you struggled. Or, yep. 
say you uh, were a very, very mean person before, and then you kind of, they swap out your personality, and then all of a sudden you're like the nicest person ever, but you don't like remember ever being the other person. So it's just, yep. it's a really, really unique thing. And it, it works in this movie, but I kind of wish they would have done more with it. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to see perhaps instead of necessarily, and I know this would require a major rework of the film, <laughs> but instead of maybe opening with Murdoch having lost his mind and trying to regain facility over it, I would like to see Murdoch slowly lose his mind as he realizes that maybe his personality is not something that he can control or that as he gains these powers and can shape reality he's not sure what to believe in or why he should believe in anything or why he should care about anything i feel like that would address the same things in perhaps a way that they would hold up better yeah probably i mean this movie i gotta say while it is really good and keep in mind this is from the director of the crow so hey it, i it, i think that's a fun movie <laughs> That's, that's what, the crow. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. It just it adds its issues. But it, it yeah, do, it like, definitely does. <laughs> so that's why I think it has a very unique aesthetic, and it has more. I think it almost has more of the placement on the aesthetic than the actual film, and especially when it when it has like the climax. Like the, I almost feel like the fight is almost a little shoehorned in here. Yeah, I, I thought it was stupid. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just it doesn't hold up as well. Like yeah. You, you could make those changes, but it'd be a completely different movie. It would. And That's why I said, you know. Yeah. But as is, I mean, this movie was actually pretty popular when it came out. It didn't make, like, a ton of money. It's one of those kind of, like, bit of a cult hit that most people haven't seen. I do recommend it. Yeah. It does have issues, but I do really recommend you give this movie a look because it is still really unique yeah. in what it does. But, yeah, it does have some issues. I feel like the the powers thing is, like, kind of almost detracts from the movie. It. It's good in the beginning, you know, where it's kind of like mysterious. Yeah. But when they have basically a action fight with powers in the end and all this stuff, it just like doesn't doesn't really work for me. Yeah. And it uh, would have been, I think, a lot better without it. Yeah. Or like even if you are gonna have the introduction of powers, I would have I cared less about him evading the control of the others by creating like this new world. Basically, I care more about the idea of him creating a new world like and that mm -hmm. he has that ability and how one person's perception of reality can change everything else i feel like that's infinitely more interesting than the fact that he's trying to evade these people who don't seem that threatening really like exactly yeah that's my main issues i just think the villains aren't and uh, the villains are kind of uh, and by the way the villains are called the strangers yeah like you think that's a noir reference <laughs> but uh but yeah so it's okay. Like, this movie actually was pretty critically, like, uh, I think Roger Ebert, like, said it was, like, one of his best movies of 1998. And so it yeah. actually received, like, a lot of really good press, but it was just not, didn't really connect with a lot of people at the time. Yeah. I think it is worth definitely viewing, especially if you're into, like, darker movies. Like, this is totally a good one, but yeah. it just is kind of, it, it definitely has problems. It's kind of like, the, you know, very similar to The Crow. It has a lot of issues, but... Like, kind of aesthetic and everything. There's a lot of cool things about it, you know? I will say, I feel like the things... Like, The Crow is fun because we have all these associations with the comic book. And, like, the aesthetic style is very 
pronounced and very interesting mm-hmm. and fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, the, the Crow is just a fun movie despite its flaws. I would say this movie is less fun and more thought provoking than The Crow oh, is. Absolutely. And so for that reason alone, I, I kind of think this is a better film than The Crow. And I think it might have done better had it been released closer to The Crow. You know, maybe. It's, it's hard to say. I don't I don't know if they're necessarily better because they're trying this two two movies trying two completely different things. Like I would agree, but I feel like this movie accomplishes more. Like, I feel like the reason that The Crow holds up so much is because of everybody's love for the character and because it, it it's a fun movie. And, you know, I feel like this movie was more, this movie was more ambitious. I just have, this movie is definitely more ambitious. I could say that without a doubt. Trying to bring up all these questions about humanity and all that. But, yeah, it's just... It's just not it's not the best movie in terms of like holding up. But yeah, yeah. I definitely I definitely recommend it. I would as well. Albeit with some caveats, you know. Take it with yeah. a grain of salt. Don't expect this to be a film masterpiece. Yeah, exactly. So just check it out for yourself. Don't watch a trailer, it doesn't really do it justice. Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. That's Dark City. It's gonna be the random interesting gossip. stuff. For this podcast yep and one that i thought was actually pretty cool is if you're familiar with the band community fk they're actually going to be playing a few west coast shows and if you're up on anything you know that is has to do with death rock or goth stuff you're probably familiar with release the bats they are a long beach based uh goth night at you know a club out in long beach and uh you know so but I, I feel like we don't really need to explain that <laughs> Yeah, it's just a, yeah. So it's gonna be at Sarah and the one that we're going to be going to is gonna be April twenty second, and I guess well you could probably go earlier than ten p.m. But ten p.m. is when the actual event starts. But if you want to go see Community FK, you know obviously a big band for death rock and, and gothic rock kind of sound, you know, very aggressive sort of sound. And this is a chance to actually go see them. Um, and we just thought we'd mention it because we're actually gonna be there. So if you want to come. And hang out with us or, you know, just kind of ask us anything or tell us that our opinions on Floodland are wrong or something. <laughs> Man. Which, by the way, I get a lot of messages about, about my opinion, opinion of Floodland. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's okay. I've had people tell me that my opinion of uh, First and Last Noise or th- of Andrew Eldridge is wrong. <laughs> yeah, actually, we do get quite a bit of the Andrew Eldridge thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> Every time they're like, uh, every time somebody's listening to podcasts, they're like, you know, I don't really agree with Doctor Sanders' opinion of Floodland. I'm like, ah, that's why we yeah, have I just Robbie can't Gore. Can't live with that one. <laughs> I, that's true. That's really true. <laughs> uh, that's why I keep you around. It's like I'm talking that about was, myself in the third person. Yeah, I know. It's kind of, it's kind of nice. <laughs> I'm gonna do that. Doctor Sanders is amazing. <laughs> Gonna review ourselves, but back on the track. Uh, yeah, Community FK is a, is a very interesting band. In fact, they still release music and they do all their videos. And actually, some of their videos are pretty interesting for the new stuff that they've been doing. Yep. Um, so if you want to come out, support the scene, everything, we're going to be there. It's going to be April 22nd. We'll definitely kind of post you on, you know, when as it comes closer. Uh, but we thought, you know, if you're planning a trip out to California or something like that and you're going to be in the area at the time, I know a lot of our listeners are actually in the LA area if they're not in the UK. Yep. So and um, if you're not specifically in 
you know, Orange County. Well, I guess Long Beach is technically LA County, but it's yeah. very close to Orange County. Um, they also have a Los Angeles date. Um, and San Diego date, too. San Diego date as well. And they are also playing Colorado, if you happen to live in Colorado. And they're playing an Oakland, California show. Um, and those are kind of interestingly spread out. Um, yeah, right? <laughs> So, so we have three that are happening back to back in April and uh Colorado one's happening in July and the Oakland one is happening in August. Yeah. So if that sounds interesting to you and you've wanted to see Community FK for a long time, this is your chance. I would like to also point out that uh whoever's running their website should pay more attention to the spelling because uh they posted the date for the uh <laughs> the Oakland show is twenty one oh six the year um, they're planning to be around for like another hundred years. No, maybe it's, is it, well, it, if it's it, 21, it, it's, it's Saturday, August 27th, 2106. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. You need to get on that. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's coming up, right? <laughs> 2106. I want to post well, that to our page. Oh, do it. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Pretty funny. Do you like our Instagram or something? Or we'll do to both Facebook and guys Apple. bookmark your calendars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Twenty one oh six is happening. We'll all be robots or vampires or something. It will probably be so. live. I'm sure you and I will be robots. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure by then, definitely. I mean, it's 2016 right now. Yeah, I know. This is getting weird. <laughs> so, yeah, we thought we'd uh, give an update on that. We thought it was pretty interesting, and yeah, it's a great opportunity to see a, a good band. So yeah, yeah. We'll tell you how it is, uh, just like what we did with Forty Five Grape when we saw them. You know, we'll go and um, just kind of give you our opinion. Come bring us things. Yes, <laughs> we like things. Yeah, it's <laughs> lots of things. But it's, it's April twenty second, and it's at Kesera, and it's Q U E space S E R A. It yes. the bats. Yep. So that's random interesting guys. <laughs> Okay, so now we're on to the second movie, and this was actually the movie that got me out of the rut of movies, if that makes sense. I was getting kind of bored of seeing the same kind of movie all the time, especially, you know, nowadays. Yeah. And I decided to get this movie on a whim, because I'd seen the trailer, like, a long time ago, and I thought it looked really interesting, and I love Jean-Pierre Jeunet. Yeah, he's very famous for particularly Amelie, but also Delicatessen. Um, He's a very specific film style uh, it's I, extremely unique. Yeah. Well, it's very unique for him. It is similar in that it's highly stylized and quirky. And so I think for some people it might hearken to Wes Anderson's f- style of filmmaking. Yeah. I think that there's very much a similar kind of thing to it. And that Jean-Pierre has a very, very unique style. Mm-hmm. And yeah, of course, most people are familiar with Amelie. And while Amelie does kind of... It does have all the trademarks of it, it's like a cinematography, like kind of wide angle shots, the yep. very interesting kind of characters, you know, the unabashed emotions inside of his movies, mm-hmm. the kind of whimsical music, all these kind of things, and especially the color tones, you know, the greens and yellows, and just the very eye popping colors. Yeah. The City of Lost Children is when he was still making pretty dark movies. And that's not to say his newer stuff isn't dark. Uh, there's definitely some of it, but. 
if you're familiar with Amelie, it's going to be a little bit of a shock. It, yeah. It, I'm just saying that because that's his most popular movie, especially stateside. It's like Amelie mixed with Dark City or Brazil. That's <laughs> that's pretty accurate. <laughs> so basically the story of it is there's this, this doctor, a scientist, Kronk. Yeah, and Kronk. he is uh, stealing dreams because he can not have them himself. Yeah, so he basically is like this old guy and he's very... I mean, very creepy looking. Yeah, he's like this demented and, scientist person. Yeah, and he he's basically kidnapping children to to get their dreams, and because and he has like all these crazy nightmares about it. Like when he's trying to have their dreams, and he's trying to find like, the one person who he can like have their dreams like eternally. Who basically yeah, so basically sleep forever. He can like you know, it's really really interesting plot. He wants to live in a really bitching dream. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> very very unique sort of. Story. I mean, that's the main setup. But then you have like Ron Perlman as Wong. <laughs> yep. And you have the this little girl Miet. Yep. And they are trying to escape from the, the scientist. Basically, trying to make sure she doesn't capture by scientists. And then he's also trying to rescue his his brother. Yeah. And it's just yeah, Miet. Uh, that's Ron. Per- yeah. I was gonna say Miet's part of like a gang of orphan children. Yeah, and it's it's really really interesting. But so Denra, that's Denra. I don't know. I, they they speak French in this movie like entire. I watched. I've only ever seen the French one, so yeah. It's like so. If I'm saying these kind of funky, that's that's why. It's a French but pronunciation. Rumpelman plays a character named One, and his little brother's kidnapped, and he teams up with Miette to try and save him and try and stop this scientist from what he's doing. And One is a very like unaware character. He's a very like lovable oaf kind of character, and he basically is just trying to do what he thinks is right. And there's all these different sort of characters in this story. I mean, there's a lot of characters in here, but they're all so unique and so well done that I just love it. Like, this whole world is so fleshed out, and I just got totally lost in this movie the first time I saw it. Yeah, I will say that that's one thing this movie does really well, but one thing that all of his movies do really well is Jean-Pierre Jeannette is really good at creating very unique characters that, just kind of pull you into the story i think that's a big trademark of every single one of his films is he uh, spends a great deal of his time on character development and so you have these very rich characters with vibrant personalities and you you just really you get sucked into it It, it's it's a nice thing to see in a film yeah i totally agree and of course dominique pignon is in this like he's inside all of his movies Mm -hmm. like of course he's like the main character in delicatessen and He's Amelie, and of course, mm. he's inside of... It's kind of similar to another director with a similar style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so and also, of course, he's in Alien Resurrection. Like, that's that's his weird... That's the most oddball movie that Jean-Pierre's done is Alien Resurrection. But that's a whole different story. Um, if we ever do an Alien episode, then I'll go into depth on that. But, <laughs> um, but Dominique's in here, and he plays like this this other scientist basically like a helper scientist and there's all clones and he has like narcolepsy so he like passes out all the time yep. and it, it's just really really unique story and it's it's hard to even kind of do a summary of it like yes the the kidnapping of the children is the main part and there's like this gang of people who have like these crazy eye enhancements and they're trying to figure out what the connection is between you know Kronk and Donry or Denry yeah. however you want to say that <laughs> yeah I just really fell in love with this movie and it's it's not one of those movies you're gonna watch a million times it's not that kind of movie no definitely not 
like it is really immersive and it's it really reminds me of his other movie delicatessen in a weird way and while delicatessen if uh, if you're familiar with it i'm just gonna say for anybody who's actually seen delicatessen here's a good comparison delicatessen was like a very unique movie but it almost seemed like a little low budget you know Mm -hmm. in some ways but with this one it's it still has that grittiness of delicatessen not not as much (laughs) obviously delicatessen like super ridiculously gritty but it has a higher budget and it but there's still i still see them as like really companion movies because they are both extremely unique they both have very good characters they both have a very unique look they both have very great cinematography and music and everything and the acting is superb this though it just really connected with me on like a really deep level i don't know why it did exactly but i was totally sick of watching like movie after movie and i'd seen like you know like tons of the same kind of movie all the time and you know now they're just coming out with reboots and all this stuff yeah and i was kind of burnt out on like watching movies and this movie really got me out of that rut i was like wow they can do really interesting things with film and i'd forgotten that to some extent so I'll always be grateful for this movie for that and this was a it was a while ago from when i first saw it but it definitely kind of picked me up out of that <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's important that you brought up that it's similar to Delicatessen because I would certainly agree, um, and I think it's important to note that uh, they are very much companion movies, and people often recognize that, um, particularly because both Delicatessen and The City of Lost Children are seen as deliberate homages to uh, Terry Gilliam, who is, of course, made a film that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And so in many ways, I kind of see this as sort of being an homage to kind of Brazil in a, in a way. In some ways, yeah, definitely the the mind and dream and what, you know, that kind of thing, like seeing outside of the peripheral of society or something like yeah. that, you know. And Delicatessen specifically in North America was released with the super title Terry Gilliam Presents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he produced it or not, but I definitely know that he like approved it and helped it like as far as that. Like I definitely yeah, he think didn't he's produce like, it um, as far as I can I, tell. I think it was like he saw it and then like ended up supporting it or something like that. And so they put like you know Terry Gilliam's name to help it. Yeah, but I don't I don't know exactly like um, if we do delicatessen, then I'll like kind of go in on that more. But one of the things I really have to congratulate about City Lost Children is the child actors are awesome. Oh, so good. Especially me yet. Like she's she's such a good actor for a kid. And I usually do not like kid actors. I feel like the best movies for kid actors usually tend to be kind of more fantastical and quirky films. And while this is definitely a dark film, it definitely still has that fantastical element to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have a really good director here and I think, you know, he sought out the right people for this film and he spent time fleshing out these characters. And so I really think that that just makes for a good story, especially when you have a very deliberate and specific film style and you've thought out characters and you have a decent story. You're you're just going to wind up with a great film. Yeah, that's true. And one of the things I also want to compare the acting to, especially with the kids, is Pan's Labyrinth, in which the the kid, like, every scene that the kid is in pretty much steals the scene. Yeah. <laughs> so, this movie's really good. I um, I actually have a hard time finding any flaws with that. I would say that, yeah, some of the, uh, like Dark City, this is 1995, so some of the CG and computery stuff, yeah. 
doesn't hold up as well. They have like the green smoke stuff mm-hmm. and some of the water in effect. Yeah, they don't hold up as well. But because this movie is color graded so heavily, in fact, I I'd heard something where they had basically desaturated most of the film and then just went in and colored everything. It's just kind of how they do things now. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, that's true. <laughs> but they try to make it look natural. Um, mm-hmm. But this just has a very very unique look and it it works totally well. Like it it definitely gets you out of the idea that like. These are actors on a set doing this. Yeah. Like you get lost in this world because it's everything about this is so well thought out and so specifically done. Definitely. And so I really don't have a ton of complaints. Like I, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, I would say that I know that Brazil is technically a better movie, but I think I had the most fun watching this movie of the three. Yeah, this is probably the most fun out of all the ones that we watched, yeah. and especially compared to Brazil, this definitely has the fantasy element of this. Yeah, and the the way the actors are presented, the way that the characters are. Yeah, it definitely has a lot more of like a a journey adventure sort of feel mm-hmm. than Brazil does, and it's definitely a lot less serious in some in a lot of ways. Yeah, but it still has an extremely dark subject matters, like mm-hmm. and definitely some dark scenes in it. So. I really recommend it. In fact, I think uh, it's really hard to say, like, because I haven't seen, I think, the the most recent Jean-Pierre film. Yeah. But this might be my favorite film I am. <laughs> I, I definitely like it more than Delicatessen, but it's close. It, it is a close call. I, I just think he's a really good filmmaker. I feel like it's really hard to choose between his films. Oh, yeah. What about Alien Resurrection? That's a whole... Other thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, for me, that's City of Lost Children. Do you have anything else you want to say? Um, not really. I I will, you know, briefly chime in on the color grading and say that I really thought that that was, it was cool the way they did the color grading and the, mm-hmm. the fact that I didn't know that piece about them desaturating and then going in doing the color grading. Um, yeah. But I felt like the color grading for this film really helped create a style for it that I thought was really great and i think that's something that would carry over into his later films like particularly amelie i feel like has really unique color grading as well oh yeah pretty much all of his films would kind of continue that he tried to do with delicatessen which delicatessen is very brown and yellow yeah you know but he had a lot less money at the time yeah it was a very low budget um, film yeah like that was he they struggled to kind of get all that in fact most of the stuff they had to buy like thrift stores and everything like yep. the props and stuff in the background so Delicatessen, I'm sure they would have done it. Yeah. Like if they could to the, that extent. But um, with this one, they really just went like, we're like, okay, this is going to be my world, you know? Yep. And um, yeah, it really, really works. In fact, the skin tones are like the coolest part of it. Like the way that the people look, the way that their skin's done, it makes their emotions pop out so like much because they the way they do the eyes, the eyes really pop and the skin tones like really kind of yeah. like not normal yeah everything is very vibrant which i do appreciate where things now are pretty much always color graded to the effect where things are somewhat desaturated and usually they're cooler on you know the kelvin Mm -hmm. scale uh maybe we're getting a bit too nerdy with that but (laughs) yeah but it looks neat that's basically what i'm trying to say (laughs) so um that's the city lost children i think it's a absolutely amazing i've wholeheartedly recommend this one i think if you're not into film that much if you just kind of like a, a good adventure movie or a good like kind of character piece you yeah. know this is a really really great movie and i think it probably has the widest 
appeal of all the movies that we're talking about today. So if you kind of want to start with a movie, like to watch from this episode, and you're not like a super big movie person, I recommend this one. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And then probably, well, it's hard to say for the next ones, but so that's, that's <laughs> the city of yeah. children. Okay, so the final movie that we're going to talk about today is 1985 film Brazil, directed by Terry Gilliam. Yeah. Now, Terry Gilliam, of course, has done a ton of different things. Yep. A lot of people actually know him for, you know, the Monty Python crew, like, that he's yep. a part of that. And, you know, he did, like, Help with the Life of Brian. He did Time Bandits, The Adventures of Bear Munchausen. He did 12 Monkeys. I mean, just Fisher so King, loathe, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Like, uh, yeah, so many things. And a lot of this things is very part, different, too. Oh, yeah, exactly. And that's what I love about it, isn't it? Like the other movies we're talking about, he has a very unique style. I would say his varies more. Yeah. Because like, he, he gets influenced by so many different things. And so mm-hmm. he tries to include a lot of different stuff in all, all his films, as opposed to Jean Pierre, where he has a very unique look. And it's it, you're like, oh, that's Jean Pierre. Like, Terry Gilliam has that. It's just that as he goes on in time, he tends to evolve it a lot further per movie. Um, but if you like watch them back to back, sometimes you're like, oh, like 12 Monkeys looks a lot like Brazil, or, you know, The Adventures of Bear Munchausen is a lot like Time Bandits. And yep. um, so a lot of different things. But of course, he also did Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I just wanted to mention that. Yep. In just case people are familiar with him. But Brazil is part of basically a, a trilogy of movies, like a very loose trilogy that involves Time Bandits and The Adventures of Bear Munchausen and kind of looks at life in three different ways, right? Like from the perspective of a kid, from the perspective of an old man, and Brazil's right in the middle where it's the perspective of somebody who's like middle-aged. Yeah. And it's like a dystopian film and... Definitely science fiction. Definitely science fiction. And it's definitely, it's like a neo-noir kind of movie again, like where it's sort of kind of grounded in this 1940s through 60s kind of, you know, suits and kind of like the, the kind of looks that ha- the cars or everything are kind of unique, but yeah. like futuristic from that time. And it, it just has a, a supremely unique look. And it was one of the first movies to kind of do that kind of look. Yeah. You know? While Dark City may have pulled from Blade Runner and this movie and stuff, this is really one of the first movies that was doing it. A lot like Blade Runner. Yeah. No, this film definitely has a distinct style to it. Um and it definitely harkens to noir films, but it it still has uh, its own qualities to it. I would say it stands out to me much more than Dark City does. Uh, it's much. It definitely you know has its roots in noir and neo noir, but I feel like it's a it can be less blatantly placed in that genre, whereas Dark City definitely fits that mold. Yeah, it's very. Brazil is is almost unlike any other film. Yeah, and that's hard to to say. If, you know, for a lot, a lot of people, are like, oh, you know, this is like Inception's unlike any other film, right? <laughs> but, like, Brazil is like is unlike any other film, other than something that Terry Gilliam has done. Yep, and like you know, maybe like Twelve Monkeys is is kind of close, but Brazil it has this element of very very dark humor almost and then some of it is like slapstick humor some of it's very comedically timed yep. jokes some of it some there's some very extremely dark things there's, there's like you know references to lobotomy torture murders to yep. you know for the government i mean there's there's all these different things in this movie there's uh, you know references to kind of 
humanity's obsession with beauty, their arc kind of the aging of society with all these events, like having beautiful places that become dystopian. Yep. It's, there's so many different things inside this movie, and it's almost everything is in the movie for a reason, like it's symbolic of something. And it's almost overwhelming the first time you see this movie. In fact, I know some people who can't even watch this movie because they start watching it with them and they're like, I just, I can't watch this. Like, this is, there's so much stuff happening in this film. Yeah, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of heavy subjects really, you know. Yeah. Some of it's lightened with some comedy, but I would still say uh, the darkness of these topics definitely still shows through. Yeah, I would say a majority of this is, is pretty dark. Yeah. For the most part. Especially um, the ending. Th- that's the whole thing. Like, <laughs> um, we're going to actually talk about the ending, so just be aware of that. If you haven't seen Brazil and you want to get the, the full experience of Spoiler what Brazil is. Spoiler alert. Yeah, so this is one of the ones which I'm like really like, like we're going to talk about the ending, and Brazil is a very highly regarded movie. So if you want to watch it first, I really recommend it, and then just continue this podcast yeah. later after you watch it. It's been out um, since 1985. We're, we're n- Yeah. We're not doing so, any travesties here. So we're like 31 years into it, so, <laughs> yeah. But the basic story is that there's this character named Sam, Sam Lowry. Yes. <laughs> I was saying it. Um, and in the very beginning of the movie, there's basically a paperwork error in which one man named Harry Tuttle, Yep. his paperwork, he's basically a criminal, Harry Tuttle. Yeah. He's this, like, heating engineer played by Robert De Niro. So, basically, a bug causes an error, and one of his crime listings, basically, that shows who the crime is attributed to Yeah. and who's basically being charged with the crime it gets mixed up so instead of being harry tuttle it's harry buttle and that starts the whole thing is one little piece of paperwork yep ruins all everything and so because of that a man named harry buttle is he's a cobbler <laughs> yeah he's a cobbler and his he's arrested and he's charged with this crime and um he's basically killed being interrogated this is right in the beginning of the movie and sam basically is trying to deal with it yeah. like basically his department he's, has to deal with this issue yeah he's a government employee and yeah. it should be noted that he's having these daydreams about a damsel in distress and when he first goes to visit the buttles widow he discovers uh this woman that uh you know he's been seeing in his dreams yeah exactly and her name's jill jill layton yep and Basically, this is whole thing is, but he's trying to resolve this this issue. And basically, paperwork is like the most important thing in this society. Basically, the government is extremely crazy in this. <laughs> it kind of reminds world. me of Futurama and how like ridiculous the paperwork stuff is in that. Yeah, yeah, it's a very very good example. Is is Futurama's like view that paperwork is everything? You know, mm-hmm. like everything has to be done correctly. Like if you have to go to the IRS, it's a gigantic place. Like where they have guns at you all the time. Yep. And this is very much that. Anyone who opposes the government in any way is killed or inter- or interrogated, which basically means that they're killed. Mm-hmm. And um, basically anybody's just shoved underneath the underneath the rug. Like, it doesn't really matter. If, if somebody is out of place in society, that's what the worst thing you could do is. You know, there's all these bombings and all stuff happening, but as long as everything looks nice and clean and people can keep doing what they're supposed to do, basically living a normal life in, in view of the government then that's what is right. Yeah. And so Sam trying to fix this paperwork error is like he just thinks it's going to be a little thing, but it basically balloons in this whole thing where because he's trying to find this woman, yep. he basically takes a promotion, which he didn't want, to try and get higher so then he can basically access the, the higher systems to find out more about her. And, yeah, he's trying to get um, transferred to the information retrieval department. 
Yeah. So this whole thing, basically, Jill, the woman that he's he wants and he's daydreaming after, is is a terrorist. Mm-hmm. And he sees this whole thing about like, oh, like terrorism is this awful thing. You know, the government will all, is always right. You know, and everything. Yep. But the more he kind of delves into it, the more that he has to deal with the government, he realizes like, oh, like the moment I don't want to do my nine to five job and I don't want to do this, then like, you know, they're, you know, it's not acceptable. And like everybody is thinks I'm insane, you know, like, yep. and he basically starts the, the movie in one place, you know, in a very comfortable government job, which he's like, can't really get fired from. Yep. And the more he wants to kind of do his own thing and, you know, he just finds that like, Oh, like all these people who I thought were my friends and all these people who I was dealing with and all this, this system I thought was fine is totally screwed up. Yep. And like trying to deal with it and just his perception of it is totally different. Yeah. And the more he pushes away from it, the more he sees that you will be chastised for that. If you do not conform to the government or society's ideals for you, you'll be labeled as a criminal or a terrorist or, you know, someone who is causing harm to the world. Yeah. And it's not even like, for I mean, for the most of the he's not even doing really big things. He just wants, like... There's um and this is where I'm gonna kind of get into spoilers because I want to talk about it like I just want to I have to talk about it later in the movie in order to address this so if that setup sounds good to you like watch it yeah but from here on it's gonna be spoilers until the end of the episode so, <laughs> like but so there's a part later in the movie like really really late in the movie where he's addressing all the crimes mm-hmm. you know like that he's being charged with and. There's, like, things where he says, like, oh, you're a nuisance, you know? Like, like that's a, a charge, like, a crime yep. like, against the government is being, like, a nuisance. And he's basically saying, like, oh, like, you need to choose a lawyer even though he's going to be tortured and everything. He's like, oh, you need to choose a lawyer. And he's basically only given, like, you know, it's like, oh, the longer you take, the more charges you get on you. Yep. Like, you know, the more expensive this is for you to not have a lawyer. And some of the, most of the crimes, most of the big crimes are, like, not having, like, doing the paperwork incorrectly yeah. or... You know, or not following the procedure of the government, and that's like his. That's the main thing that he's being charged with. Yep. I mean, and to the point of where he gets, in the end, lobotomized for it. Yep. And so it's a very, very unique thing, like and a very interesting way to look at the way that a country can treat somebody. And I bet a lot of people would see a lot of correlations to the way that a lot of the governments handle people. You know, the way that in this movie they just like deal with it. You know, like. If this guy isn't with us, he's against us, you know? Like, if he isn't 100% aligned line with what we like. And it's a very, very interesting viewpoint, like, this movie. It just comes from so many angles. Yeah, it's definitely pulling from a lot of literary and film theory ideas. And well, 1984, the, the book, the George Orwell story, uh, definitely. That's where I was going to go next with this is, you know, it uh, very much harkens to kind of 1984 and George Orwell's criticism of of the government and of how society will basically chastise you for not fitting a specific mold and even more so in Aldous Huxley's Brave New World and uh, it's one of those movies where everybody is expected to perform a certain task and if they don't do it then they're considered outside the law they're considered evil they're considered criminal and I feel like this movie hits hard today. I feel like perhaps maybe even more so than it did when it came out, specifically because of a lot of the social issues and you know political issues that I would say that people in our age bracket are dealing with because you know we're 
kind of starting to see what it's like to question the, the ideas of presented to you by the government. You know, things like WikiLeaks have happened and, you know, mm-hmm. we've seen, you know, the extent of what the government's capable of and how we're affected when we don't agree with it. Yeah, that's one of those things that I, I really, really agree with that. In fact, the more I watch this movie, you know, the more years go by and I, you know, come back and watch it again. Yep. The more it relevant it is. Yep. And that's pretty crazy for a sci-fi neo-noir movie that was made in 1985 by somebody who was most popular for making a movie about little dwarves that travel through time with a child. Yep. Like, but it's really true. You know, if this movie came out today, it would be a different film. You know, because while this movie is more about ideas, and, you know, and of course it was, it's kind of like a, a fight the power sort of thing, right? Or, yeah. you know, you would think that. But it's not totally that because you see it from two different perspectives. Like, like you can live comfortably being okay with the government, you know, like mm-hmm. if you just submit to it. Like a lot of people inside of the movie who are perfectly content being part of the government, that's okay. You know, even like middle and lower class, you know. But, like, there's the whole thing. Like, if somebody makes a mistake or you are out of line, then that's it. That very much does relate to how the the, you know, the internet world in which a lot of information can come out and people get pissed, you know? Yep. Like, and then, you know, they oppose it. And then there's all this kind of stuff that they have to go through and all, you know, their life's in danger and people want to torture them. I mean, literally, people want, like, that, those things exist. Yep. <laughs> like, this is, you know, it's not even fiction in some ways. Uh, you know, the things that this movie brought up years ago. And, yeah, like, I'm sure a lot of people use this for, like, the, you know, at the time, maybe, like, oh, the war on drugs, you know, like, like uh, this is, like, this is a representation of, like, the war on drugs and, like, how oh, it's failing and everything. Like, yep. I'm sure people try to take that stance. But it really is about, like, the structure of society and the government and, like, you know, like, what it means to oppose it and, and if you even can escape it. In fact, the interesting thing about the ending, right, is... In the end, Sam Lowry gets lobotomized for opposing the government. Mm-hmm. And inside of his mind, he's, like, living on this, you know, on, like, this remote area with Jill. And he's, like, happy. And he basically gets to live out his fantasy for, you know, for all time. He basically is insane, yep. you know. But it's interesting because he's technically free. Yep. Like, he gets to live the life he wants. And he basically lost. So, and he's basically, unlike everybody else in the entire movie, you know, he's the only one that is technically not trapped in that awful world anymore. Yeah. And if you look at what happens, you know, from a, uh, a plot standpoint, you could maybe make the argument that what this movie is trying to say is the only way to escape these things is death. Yeah, exactly. That there, there is no hope for, <laughs> for uniqueness or individuality, or free thought or speech or action, except to accept your death, and that's a really yeah. dark topic. Yeah, that's that's pretty true. In fact, even you know this is a very unique movie in that they spend a lot of time on the love interest, yeah. Jill, and the killer. Mm-hmm. Like, she dies. She basically, like, I think she's, like, tortured. Like, they basically, you know, instead of, like, this one sentence, they say, oh, she's dead. Like, yep. you know, like, so yeah, there's just, there's a lot of really interesting things about this movie. And there's so many different commentaries on, like, you know, the rich versus the poor and, and all these different things and what is beauty. And and it's just really, really interesting. 
it does so many different things. But I also want to talk about there's basically a different version of this film. And if you have the Criterion Collection, it kind of it's like three disc version, not the there's like a one disc version, one disc version, and there's like a, a three disc version. And the three disc version comes with like a television edit. It's basically an edit done like for the North American market, you know. Yeah. And it basically takes out a whole bunch of the really deep kind of the dark things that might upset Westerners. <laughs> yeah. It basically kind of cuts out a lot of like the dream sequences and kind of the really dark things. The things that might make uh, the happy ending. <laughs> the things that might uh, allude to what the Western government is like. <laughs> I mean, you can say that, <laughs> but it definitely makes it more palatable. Yeah. But it's called the love conquers all version. And basically it has a happy ending and, like Sam actually does go and live happily ever after with Jill, and if you watch it, it actually doesn't make a lot of sense with the way that how much they cut out. Yeah. Like it just cuts really dramatically. I'm just like that doesn't make any sense of what just happened. Like, but it's a very unique way to see the film because of like it was obviously edited by somebody. And keep in mind, this is actually like you know a studio edit basically. You know, yeah. that you can tell it just totally doesn't get the point of it. Mm-hmm. You know, th- it's definitely made by somebody who is probably part of the system, doesn't understand what this movie stood for. And kind of guy who just does cocaine off a of stripper's asses in his free time and, you know, rakes in the dough. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Some, something like that. I mean, it's just, it's really, really interesting, but it's funny that they, you know, like Terry Gilliam, of course, totally disavows this thing. In fact, there's this whole, battle like a really famous battle that he had with the um, the guy who edited it and the and the production company saying like you know sending like audio reels or audio recordings saying like you are destroying my vision you know i don't even want to i wouldn't have done this if i had known you would i wouldn't have made the movie if i'd known you'd done this and this whole thing but it's just really really interesting to see that like version of it mm-hmm. get a hold of it yeah i would say that that version uh definitely takes uh most of the heaviness out of this film? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it has more scenes with Jill and uh, and Sam kind of just talking and yeah. kind of and kind of building that relationship more and less about, like, Sam's existential crisis. <laughs> yeah. But I would also say that this is a very important film to watch before Election Day. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. Jeez. That's so true. Uh, this, I'm going to say this film is more relevant than ever. <laughs> it's really weird. But... One of the things that I do want to mention is that Terry Gilliam is a very, you know, obviously unique director. Yeah. He used a lot of, like, wide-angle lenses in this movie, too, and he, he was famous for that, too. But this movie does have a problem, and I, I really want to address it. And so I feel that Sam's relationship with Jill or his infatuation with Jill isn't the best in this movie. And I think that's because Terry Gilliam, I he was not the biggest fan of the actress who played Jill. Yeah. And he cut a lot of her scenes out because she felt like she was just too dry or, you know, wasn't really working in the scenes as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I have to agree. Like, she's probably the the weakest performance in this movie, which is, I mean, that's, you know, like, everyone's movie's really good. Yeah. Like, and, um, but yeah, she's definitely the weakest. And while I do really like the way it's edited, I felt like they could have made that work a little bit more. Just so when she is taken away from him that I would have felt the emotion more from that. Yeah. Uh, I I would agree with that, especially because, you know, the ending scene is, you know, him drifting off into basically his insanity and picturing himself with her. I think it's uh, 
kind of important to uh, emphasize their relationship a bit more. Yeah, well, I do think that the you know the whole like his dream sequences of like oh yeah she's been dre- he's been dreaming of her like he's been waiting his whole life you know for her or whatever. It's like yeah, that's cool, but you could have made the real life Jill more interesting. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much our only complaint. In fact, I think that the the rest of what this movie tries to do it does really well. Yeah. It's the pacing is a little all over the place. Yeah, like, but I I don't think that's really the point of this film. Yeah. You know, like this film is trying to set up something. What it's trying to do, it does well. I would and agree. That's that's really what matters for me in this film. You know, it it's trying to be unlike pretty much anything else. And yeah, the pacing's a little bit off. I feel like the it's really hard to say. It's like the beginning is like really, really well paced. Yeah. The middle, like when he's trying to research on stuff, it drags a little bit and then the ending is like all over the place. Like yeah. because of what happens in the story so it's kind of a, a mess in that way but it's just like it's just so unique that it's hard to really bash on it for that like i feel like i'd feel really bad if i was to say like oh don't watch this movie because the pacing is a little off in some places a little slow because i think this movie's still worth the watch and it, it for what the pacing is for it like it makes you focus on those parts and kind of like interpret it i don't know it's really hard to explain but i would agree uh- I I think the pacing isn't perfect in this film, but I don't find it distracting. Um, It certainly doesn't take away from anything that the film is trying to do. And I just quickly wanted to, just for the sake of argument, because we always got to argue each other. (laughs) Uh Um, While I mostly agree with you that they probably could have uh, added some more depth to the the real Jill, if you look at what the movie is doing, and what it's criticizing, you could make a case for the fact that maybe the real Jill shouldn't have been interesting because in this world, the only thing that's interesting are your dreams because real life isn't allowed to be interesting. That's true. Yep. You definitely make that argument. But, yeah. yeah. Well, that's Brazil. It's a one in a million film. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, even today, you'll probably still be like, what the heck is going on in this? I Yeah, and this is where I kind of have to... <laughs> briefly retouch on the fact that i say that i had more fun watching city of lost children city of lost children is more fun from the standpoint that it's uh it's got a little more whimsicalness to it and it's it's oh, not yeah. quite as dark this film is a harder watch but it is totally worth it and i definitely think is the better movie of the two this movie's it really holds up despite its age um which is while you know dark city might still be a good movie i feel like is more dated than brazil is yeah it's true uh, i would i would definitely say that is but that's most because of the way the effects are done yeah and well i guess i'm a story writing too but yeah yeah you get it but basically if you haven't seen this film you, you need to watch it and i said like i said again this film is not for everybody if i would just say go into the film kind of expecting something different yeah like that's my biggest recommendation for this film because if you go into it expecting like an average kind of sci-fi film or a, a film even like Blade Runner I mean you're not going to get that I mean it's its totally own unique thing like, if you don't so. watch your beliefs challenged maybe this mo- isn't the movie for you <laughs> yeah just just go watch uh, you know go watch something else <laughs> but, but yeah I really recommend Brazil it's a very unique experience I agree so yeah well that concludes our movie episode as always they are very word heavy yep <laughs> but yeah talking about uh, the kelvin been... scale <laughs> yeah yeah exactly 
But this has been uh, This is episode 26. I'm Dr. Sanders. I'm Robbie Gore. And of course, Gothcast is part of the Belfry Network. It's a network of podcasts related to goth culture and anything you could want to know about gothic culture, whether it's music, if you want kind of playlists, if you want, you know, good recommendations for music or even even things for books or anything like that. Any of the one of the podcasts can help you with something like that. They also have YouTube channels yeah. that they support. Yeah, and blogs and, and artists and everything. So if you're into goth, check out the Belfry Network. It's www.thebelfry.rip. That's B-E-L-F-R-Y.rip. Yep. And then, of course, got to mention our social media as always. So we have our website, which is gothcastradio.com. No www, because why would we do that? And we have a Facebook, which is just gothcast. Instagram is just gothcast. And we have a YouTube channel, which is gothcast space video. And, of course, you're always welcome to contact us. We're happy to answer any questions or respond to any comments, requests. We're always happy to hear from you guys. And you can reach us on any of those mediums. All right. I hope you've enjoyed it. And stay spooky. Stay spooky.